When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This is the Fenway Rundown, the premier podcast for all things Boston Red Sox. No people harp on the last place thing, but essentially what's important is the record. If the Red Sox want people to start thinking the ownership cares, then maybe they should talk. This is the Fenway Rundown, brought to you by Mass Live. Here are your hosts, Chris Cotillo and Sean McAdam. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome back to the Fenway Rundown podcast. On a Thursday, January 4th, I'm Chris Cotillo with Sean McAdam alongside. Been a couple days since we've come to you with a new episode because I think... In our minds, we overloaded the hell out of this podcast over the weekend out of necessity with uh, a regular pod on Friday, two emergency pods on Saturday, letting that breathe, and really nothing has happened in the world of the Red Sox in the last few days, but we'll recap all that nothingness today. What an intro, Sean. Huh? That's really how to get the people going. You know, people are just um, lined up now to download this new episode based on your advanced billing. I do like the fact that I am not driving... While we do this one, as I was for our last, the emergency Chris Sale pod, um, we'll get to some additional news on Chris Sale in just a moment. But a reminder about our Fenway Rundown program, which we've been talking about for the last couple of months and which so many people have signed up for and have enjoyed. It's an opportunity to stay current 24-7 on Red Sox News. You have the ability to text with me, with Chris Cotillo, with Chris Smith, get our insight, get our opinions, get our information, whatever we have, we're going to share it with you and we're going to share it with you first. And all you have to do to join is text the word join to 617-751-6257. That comes with a 14-day free trial period. And after that, it's just $4.99 a month. Lots of people happy to take part. They're enjoying being part of that texting community with us so hop on board and join them that is a great way to stay connected as we uh, learned over the weekend a lot of good conversation about both moves the red sox made number one giolito number two chris sale uh of all the things we wrote on the site this week and uh this is not me taking credit for mine blowing up the most but mine blew up the most so i think it's good that we talk about it it was not the giolito news friday it was not the sale trade and the implications of that Saturday. It was the piece Sunday morning uh, that got people really talking, and I think for good reason, um, about what the Red Sox do next and the idea of subtraction before addition. Um, and I've been asked you know, these questions on the radio the last couple of days, so I wanted to provide some context here. 
about the report that the Red Sox told at least one free agent they've talked to that they need to shed some salary before pursuing him as aggressive as aggressively as they want to. Uh, we'll caveat it with this. We don't know if that means if that means anything in terms of the budget, where the budget's going to go. All we can tell you, and Sean, your reporting has been in line with mine, and we've heard the same stuff all winter, that the industry perception, people who are talking to the Red Sox about the budget and they won't reveal their budget, are under the impression that they are looking for cheaper options, definitely not to exceed the CBT, and there's some questions about if they'll get close to it. Um, They're talking to teams about trades involving shedding payroll, they had a hard budget of $225 million, which was significantly less than 233 the CBT threshold a year ago. This year, again, they won't tell us where their budget is, but everybody in baseball kind of is looking at the moves they've made, looking at the types of talks they're having, and saying, this is our takeaway here. And the Red Sox, of course, still have time to prove us wrong. Um, but I think that that, you know, some people said it's very damning, or I just think it's revealing what we heard the other day about you know, them talking to free agents and saying, hey, you know, we like your guy, but we need to move some money. Um, right now, they're around $200 million on the CBT. That's $37 million short of where they start incurring penalties. And they're at a point where to pursue these guys, they are saying, you know, hey, we're going to move some money, whether that's in the form of Kenley Jansen, which we'll get to, or a more significant surprising deal. I do think it's significant that they move some salary involving Chris Sale. They obviously cut some payroll when it came to um, the Verdugo for O'Neill move, even though that does fit the roster better. To me, there's a lot of signs pointing in this direction of trying to have a more frugal approach, trying to build um, in a certain way. Until we have the final roster in spring training and where the budget comes in, I mean, it's going to be impossible for us to, you know, exactly pinpoint it and it would be i think even reckless for us to say this is what we expect the budget to be at this point i'm just saying there's a lot of smoke around you know them uh trying to cut a little bit here to make further additions and just i think that says a lot about where they are well it does and i'll go a step further and i'll say it is damning and revealing even though we're not at the end of of the off season and there's still you know five or so weeks to go before anybody reports to spring training obviously a number of top free agents remain unsigned and there are a number of trade options available to the Red Sox but as we've been reporting all winter Chris they don't seem to be significant players for top end free agents like Blake Snell like even Jordan Montgomery guys that are gonna uh Snell will certainly uh we would expect top 200 million Montgomery will be north of 150 and the Red Sox are uh in my mind uh staying clear of both those guys maybe they end up with a guy like um Imanaga the lefty from Japan who could be a nine-figure deal but for the most part they are seeking to improve the roster uh through trades through lower cost free agents and it's hard to imagine barring some signing that comes out of nowhere or a trade that results in them taking on a big contract, it's hard to imagine the Red Sox getting within sniffing distance of the first CBT threshold. As you noted, they're almost 40 million under, um, you know, 
and the fact that they are looking to make some deals and unload salary before they add suggests that they are uh, that there is a mandate to keep this thing down closer to 200 million than the first CBT threshold in the high 230s. So um, a, a lot can still happen, but uh, we can only interpret what we see and report what we hear. And for now, it seems like the Red Sox have been put on notice by ownership that they are not going to match last year's payroll total um, of 225 or so, and they're not going to come all that close to that first threshold. Whether that is a permanent retrenchment on the part of management and ownership, or whether this is a we're not yet there to compete for a division title, we're going to wait another year before we really spend more aggressively and up to and perhaps over the CBT. All we can say is this year looks to be a very measured approach when it comes to payroll. Yeah, I mean, I think the the last check of the Red Sox payroll tab on Twitter, one of the good accounts out there, and, and some of the other estimates have them around 200, 201. And as we've reported and as you wrote about yesterday, and I think it's pretty widespread, Kenley Jansen looks like a guy who is definitely on the trading block with a $16 million salary. Now, because that's a one-year deal, you could see a team taking on that deal completely and taking on the the entirety of that 16 let's say that happens they're now down to 185 um if you're at 185 and again i'm taking it one step further and we're saying a jansen deal is happening when it hasn't yet then you all of a sudden have you know 52 53 million against the cbt left to spend there's no way that they could spend all that, even if they really wanted to. I mean, it would be hard to imagine. And yeah, I mean, that would market. require probably, you know, signing Snell and Montgomery and maybe even Teoscar Hernandez Yeah, with all that. And there's no evidence to suggest that that kind of spending spree is on the horizon. So, I mean, again, the, it's just we're, we've heard it from so many places, agents asking why they operate like a small market team, why they're slow playing it compared to some other teams. Um, you know, the report from the other day, that's exactly what they told a free agent. Hey, we like you, but just hold on tight. We have to move some money. Um, and your report that also got a lot of traction a couple of weeks ago that we talked about last time about Jordan Montgomery in the eyes of an industry official being too rich for their blood, that's not coming from an agent. So it's coming from different people across the industry who are hearing these same things. I know there's always the tiny risk of an echo chamber. I'm not couching to couch here. I'm just kind of talking through this, but um, there's always the risk of an echo chamber in baseball. There's only so many people that hear these things, but I'm just saying it's so widespread and it's so believed throughout different facets of the industry. And and I think it's less of a, um, you know, people knowing what the Red Sox budget is and more just wondering like, why are they acting like this? Why, well, why it, do they have to move money to sign a free agent? Right. Why the, is Jordan the, Montgomery considered out of their price range? And why is all of this happening for a supposedly big market team? Yeah, I, I mean, we can only judge them by their actions. And the fact that they have twice now in the trading of Chris Sale, even though they took back $17 million, they did save themselves some money in that. Uh, and their messaging to 
um, an agent for a free agent in whom they have interest saying we have to subtract more before we can add you suggests that they are under direction and under orders to keep the payroll to a certain limit that is far short of the CBT first threshold. And that's not going to, it hasn't gone over well with the Red Sox fandom. And I suspect that as more uh, options come off the table and the Red Sox are not as involved on some big name free agents, you're going to see uh, even more unrest among the fan base. But it's pretty clear that there is a signal being sent both from ownership to the front office and by the Red Sox as an organization to others in the game that they are uh, hamstrung to a certain degree about how much they can commit in resources this winter. Again, we don't know if this is permanent. We don't know if this is going to continue going forward. Uh, You know, next year is next year. But for now, the Red Sox are not by any stretch of the imagination operating full throttle, and they are not even, as I said, getting close to that first CBT threshold number. Um, So we can just judge by actions and what we hear and what we can report. And as I said, I'll make this point one more time. I made it on Twitter or X, whatever we're calling it. The Von Grissom for Chris Sale trade represents savings even more than you see on the surface because – you save okay, let's say seven to eight and a half million. The estimates are kind of kind of vary based on different interpretations of the CBT. They save let's say eight million against the CBT. That's not insignificant. They're also saving, you know, name your price for whatever free agent second baseman by getting Von Grissom and installing a guy in one of your nine spots for seven hundred thousand, seven hundred twenty thousand, whatever he's going to make next year. That is, I think he's going to be a good player. I think he has some upside. You know, so and it may might be a savvy move to lock that guy in. Yes, maybe. But the truth of it is, he's going to cost you seven hundred thousand. If you were to go out and get Brandon Drury, let's say you had to pick up most of his contract with the Angels in a trade, that would be six million. You go out and sign Ahmed Rosario, maybe that's seven, eight, nine million a year. Whit Merrifield, even more expensive. So they're locking in one of their needs at second base at a minimum salary. At minimum salary. That is even more savings kind of toward the point that we're trying to illustrate there. I, um, in the issue of fairness and on balance here, I think the Red Sox deserve to be completely ridiculed and uh, the fans should be very, very upset if they don't come near that 237 threshold and if full throttle turns out to be complete BS and all that stuff. That being said, in this system of cutting payroll there are savvy baseball moves that make sense no matter what and if you look at it kind of big picture you know some of the moves they made they do kind of fit together some of the moves that they might make do make some sense and I wrote this at the beginning of the offseason and it's really kind of gained steam in the last couple weeks but to me moving a veteran reliever either Jansen or Martin always made a lot of sense for this roster if their intentions are to take Jansen's salary off the table uh, then yes, we should criticize them for that because this team should be able to afford $16 million in the luxury of a closer. But it does make some sense to move the guy. And you outlined some of the uh, potential fits with the Dodgers right at the top of the list, Cubs, Phillies, some other National League contenders in the yeah, mix te- yesterday. more I think about it, the Texas Rangers are in many yep. ways a perfect fit. 
you know, they have designs on winning again. This was not a one and done. Let's move all our chips to the center of the table and go for it. And then we'll rebuild. They want to compete again this year and they're not bringing Chapman back. They've already lost Will Smith. Uh, so they need a closer for a proven winner. And, uh, in many ways, the Rangers make a ton of sense, but there are other options out there that that we talked about. And it may well be that they are looking at this uh, as one of two ways. One, there's a more efficient way to allocate that $16 million, whether that's bringing in uh, an outfielder free agent, somebody like Teoscar Hernandez, and then paying a couple of million for a less heralded reliever, maybe somebody like Stevenson that might be a nice addition, or it may be a signal that the team uh, through Craig Breslow has looked at the division, looked at the Red Sox roster, maybe even looked at payroll limitations and said, you know what, we can improve, we can be a better than 500 team in 24, but we're unlikely to be make a deep October run. So maybe the 16 million that we've got allocated for closer Ken Lee Jansen um, isn't the best use of that money. Uh, you know, you, you, you typically see contending teams investing that kind of salary in the closer position because they want experience. They want stability at the back end. They want certainty in the ninth inning teams that don't have designs on, on going deep into the playoffs might be willing to cut some corners there try some other guys in that role, but there's some risk inherent there. Um, you know, if they move Chris Martin back to the ninth inning, if they try Tanner Houck in that role, if they go out and sign somebody like Stevenson, who doesn't have a ton of ninth inning experience, there's some gambles there, but there's also gambles with Kenley Jansen in his mid thirties with a history of injury issues, whether it be, mm -hmm. uh, cardio or whether it be related to his back that flared up from time to time last year. So um, again, we'll have to see how that, that unfolds here in the coming weeks. Yeah. I mean, I see that point. I also just think that when you look at the roster, I mean, this is a team that has a lot of high octane bullpen guys already. And if you can get prospects or a major league spare part or something like that for Kenley Jansen, I just don't think that the, you know, roster suffers. I know you're a big believer in it takes something, somebody who is hashtag built different to pitch in the ninth, right? And Chris Martin only has, I think, a dozen saves. Houck did it pretty well a couple of years ago. I think he's a candidate, as we've talked about. But let's just go through, and I wrote a roster projection for this morning. It's, again, way too early in the year for that. Um, but the relievers in a Kenley Jansen-less world, in this projection, I have them getting Lazardo or somebody like that. We'll talk about that in a minute. And re-signing James Paxton or somebody like that. Again, we'll talk about that in a minute. And putting Cutter Crawford in a rotation that's you know headlined by Giolito and Bayo. In that case, your eight-man bullpen is Tanner Houck and Chris Martin at the back end. Garrett Whitlock, Josh Winkowski, John Schreiber, Nick Pavetta in that hybrid role again. Brendan Bernardino as the lefty, and you know take your pick of the two kind of lock roster locky locked in roster guys between Brian Mata and Justin Slayton, who are effectively Rule Five guys. You have the depth there, and just to go through the names really quickly: uh, Campbell, Criswell, Zach Kelly, Greg Weiser, Zach Weiss, Jake's Walter Murphy. You know, some of those guys aren't world beaters. They could also add a lefty. You like Wandy Peralta. I like Matt Moore. Those guys could come cheap later in the offseason. But if you take really the core pieces of that, 
And let's say it's Martin, Houck, Whitlock, Schreiber, Winkowski, Bernardino. Even without Kenley Jansen, that feels like a lights-out group, right? Like, Yeah, you- it, it, it is a deep bullpen, but as you hinted at, I, I do have some questions about uh, sort of auditioning on the fly someone who hasn't done it before. Houck has uh, done it and- before. That's why, I mean, I know it was short, but he was good. Yeah, I, I, I don't see that as a big enough... Uh, you know, history there to suggest that he can walk into that role and survive. The fact that uh, Hauk has had some command issues. Uh, you never want to put guys on base in the ninth inning with a one or two run lead. Um, I, I I need to see more there and it might work out, but there, there is some risk in, in going to somebody that hasn't done it. Let's not forget how unsettled that bullpen was prior to 2023 when Jansen came in, yep. you know, between Workman and Hauk and some other guys that they tried there, none of whom stuck. Uh, it, it created a lot of instability at the back of that bullpen. And unless you have somebody. And drove uh, the manager absolutely crazy. Right, right. And unless you have somebody, uh, and I know that some people might regard that I'm putting too much too much emphasis on this and and experience uh there is a gamble to assuming somebody well chris martin was lights out in the eighth inning so why can't he do it in the ninth well let's ask the question why at age 37 has chris martin not really been tried in the ninth inning over the course of his career there might be a reason for that it might be he, he did debut at like 36 but not quite but yes i get your point <laughs> yeah. uh you know, the, this guy's been a very successful reliever, but no one has looked at him and said, you know what? He looks like a lockdown ninth inning option for me. And to me, there's usually a reason that people don't try that. I'm not saying that he can't do it. I'm not saying that how can't uh, do it if they give him the opportunity. I'm not saying that Robert Stevenson might not be a nice option there. I think but, Whitlock too. Yep. Uh, they have a number of guys who could, but they don't have anybody who has. Yeah. I mean, I guess my point is look at the group and think you could probably find somebody to do it. And at this point, the bullpen as a whole, even if Jansen's gone, is still a very strong group. And that's without that Stevenson, Hicks, Peralta, Moore type addition. Lucas Giolito was introduced yesterday on Zoom. Um, I was really impressed. I tweeted out a very Homer take that he won the press conference. Uh, I take that back now that I've done a little more digging on his family and realize that he did not mention either Snoopy or Prickly Pete in his introduction press conference uh, for the Seinfeld fans out there. His grandfather was played Susan Ross' uh, father, um, so I guess his step-grandfather would have been John Cheever in this situation. I was impressed with Giolito. I thought he kind of said all the right things. He's clearly, you know, you know I, I we talked the other day about Chris Sale being accountable, hard on himself, smart. Must be something about coming up with the White Sox, right? Uh, where you kind of get that uh, drilled into you. I know he was a Nationals prospect originally. Point stands. Um, like he just kind of said all the right things. You know, he said his home run total last year was astounding. Um, he said that he was just not a fan of his recent performance and is happy to be back on track. And candidly, he said, "What everybody knows, hey, I signed this deal so I can hit the market in a couple years. There's some motivation." He said there weren't that many teams in on me. Kind of found it funny. Like a self-aware, smart dude who I think fans are going to like. Uh, you know, did he earn $19 million in his presser yesterday? No. 
but I think kind of a, a good start. And I think something that this team kind of needs is guys like that, that just get it, you know, uh, kind of a veteran presence. He's only 29, but he's, as he talked about yesterday, you know, barring some veteran addition, going to be the elder statesman of that rotation that has, as we penciled in Bayo and, and, um, Crawford and some of these younger guys. I just thought it was an impressive showing as much as it can be in a 20-minute Zoom call from across the country. Yeah, I I think there's only so much to read into it, but I agree with your take that, uh, you know, there was a lot of self-actualizing and accountability, and you'd like to see that. There was no, well, when you look closer at the numbers, it really wasn't that. I mean, there's no getting around the fact that he had an ERA, you know, uh, north of six after the all-star break. We also know the context there, you know, three different teams, uh, some upheaval in his personal life off the field, which had to contribute to the instability of the season, um, but seems committed to addressing whatever mistakes were made, making some adjustments and working with Andrew Bailey to get back to, um, you know, where he was from say, 17 or 18 through 2021, where he was a, you know, innings eating 3.5 ERA guy making 30 to 32 starts every year. If he can get close to that, the Red Sox will have made a good sign. We've talked a lot about that. We've talked a lot about Chris Sale in the last couple of days. Um, Chris Sale, right before we started rolling today, more Chris Sale news, which I didn't think was possible this week, but here we are. The Braves signed him to a two-year, $38 million extension. It really doesn't impact the Red Sox that much. Um, they, the money doesn't change. The return doesn't change. I do think it's interesting that, you know, can you imagine the outcry if the Red Sox had signed Chris Sale to a two-year, $38 million extension, guaranteed another year for $17 million? Do you understand how much fans would absolutely hate that? Uh, I think it's just funny that now that he's on a new team, like, Oh, well, he signed an extension and they think he has upside and all that stuff. Um, yeah, it's it's hard to come away from this and think anything other than this was a condition to sale approving the trade. Um, you know, he had 10 five rights, 10 years in the big leagues, five with the same team at the end. And thus he had the ability to block this this deal and tell Craig Breslow, nope, I'm not going. And that would have killed the deal. Uh, the fact that they announced this so soon after would seem to suggest, um, let me talk to the Braves. And, uh, you know, he essentially said to them, if you guarantee me a second year, I'll accept the trade. I, I will find out more about that uh, at some point today when Sale uh, meets with the media over Zoom um, and and goes into his decision making. But it's you know, again, reading between the lines here, it's hard to come away with any thought other than this was necessary for him to approve the deal in the first place. Either way, that's a team going full throttle because let's say Chris Sale pitches well down the stretch, wins them a couple of playoff games, and is absolutely horrible in 2025. Fans are not going to criticize that extension by the Braves. The Braves will have won a World Series, hypothetically. Because, with I mean... I can't possibly think 
of an instance where Chris Sale helped the team win a World Series and then was criticized for signing an extension. Exactly right. That's history, never happened before. History, time is a flat circle. I know we're kind of jumping around here. I do want to talk about the roster projection that I ran today because this whole thing is basically going to be me talking about my stories with you occasionally chiming in today. Um, I gave the Red Sox four and a half new players in my 26-man projection that ran this morning. Uh, Lazardo. Jesus Lazardo is the starting pitcher that they are going to get in my projection. James Paxton re-signs. I have them maybe getting a lefty reliever, Wandy Peralta or Matt Moore, the two I identified. Uh, and our Adam Duvall re-signs. I guess then that's only three, three and a half. Uh, so Duvall, Paxton, and um, Lazardo. I have William Abreu being traded for Lazardo in this simulation. And I have Rafaela not making the opening day roster. So that is how I think the Red Sox, in some way, shape, or form, and those types of moves, the names can be interchangeable, will fill out their roster. So step one, big trade for a controllable starting pitcher, somehow, some way. The White Whale, we've been talking about it. Step two, a veteran on a short-term deal to fill out the rotation. Step three, one more bat for the outfield once an outfielder is probably traded. Um, maybe in that starting pitching trade, there's a Abreu for Lazardo in my simulation. You'll note that that team does not have any of the top free agents on it. Montgomery, Snell, even Teoscar Hernandez. And that I think the last kind of big piece will come via trade. I just think that that's what they're trying to do. Uh, I know you didn't write a roster projection today. How dare you? But... Just do those types of moves kind of fit what you think, or do you think that there's going to be something different? Yeah, no, I I, I think you hit on it. I, I disagree on a few of the particulars. I don't know that they're going to get Lazardo. I think they're going to trade for a pitcher of that ilk. Yeah. And I have some questions about Duval coming back, but clearly they need a right-handed bat who can play the outfield. I do agree that, that uh, Paxton comes back, so... In theory, uh, I, I agree with your larger points. I'm just differing on a couple of specifics. It could be, you know, with Lazardo, just mix in, name your controllable starter. Maybe Kirby and Gilbert are untouchable, but whether it be Cabrera with the Marlins or one of those guys in San Francisco or the Cubs or these different people we've heard about. Paxton, you know, there is talk and there is smoke, but maybe that's Michael Lorenzen or maybe it's Sean Manaya or you know, in a more of a kind of aggressive move, uh, maybe Stroman, though I still don't think that's a fit, and not just because he went to Duke. Um, and then for the bat, Teoscar's the hot name. We've talked, I think, four straight podcasts now about how we don't necessarily see that being a perfect fit. Duvall, you've long said if he can play first base, fits the roster. There's some other guys. You know, Harrison Bader was one guy I thought that, you know, could maybe possibly be in the mix, maybe a little redundant with O'Neal. He's off the board today, signing for $10.5 with the Mets, which was more than I thought he'd get, by the way. Yeah, me too. Uh, I, I was um, surprised he got as much as he did. But those are, I think, the kind of the scope of the moves and the needs as well. We will be back tomorrow with our final Fenway rundown, not ever, but just of the week. And it will be a different one and an exciting one because it's the time of the year where we are going to reveal Hall of Fame votes. I don't have a vote. Sean does. Chris Smith does. And so the two of them are going to discuss who they voted for, who they didn't, and why. There'll be some discussion on, well, stories on the site. And, of course, Sean, you know what's coming in our Insider Text program.
absolutely. That's a chance to uh, tell Chris Smith and I uh, how wrong or right we were with our uh, Hall of Fame choices or offer up anything else you'd like from an opinion to a question to floating a trade proposal. Those are fun to talk about. Uh, all you have to do to join our insider text community, as many have, is text the word join to 617-751-6257. You get a free 14-day trial, and then it's $4.99 a month to keep up on all the Red Sox news in and out of season. This has been the Fenway Rundown, brought to you by Mass Live.